Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Lord's House for Worship today. Two things we want to look at. This world plays politics. And I understand there's a good sense of the term, and an appropriate and upright one. Today in the service, and especially in the sermon, we're going to look at the worst kind, the negative kind, and how that plays out. And yet, why we're here is because of the second thing. God is here in his word. When the world does its thing, God is here to give us hope and to fill us with the message of Easter. Order of service is found in your worship folder and on screen. Let's begin with our opening hymn, 446.
Please stand. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. And also with you. We gather today in this, still in the glow of the most joyous an amazing celebration of Easter, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ from the dead. The sights and sounds of that celebration linger in our memory, not as a past event, finished and forgotten, but as Peter says today, the basis for our faith and hope in God. Today we remember that our only hope is built on a divine Savior whose crucifixion wounds were endured for us and for all. sin is the law. That victory remains ours by a God-given faith and hope. That hope is kept alive as we daily repent of our sins and remain in the promises of God. For if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Confess our sins to God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done or said. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are
God, our merciful Father, has forgiven all of our sins. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be our Redeemer and Savior. Jesus paid the penalty for our guilt by his death on the cross and freed us from death by his resurrection from the grave. We have peace with God now and forever. The humiliation of your son, you lifted up this fallen world from the despair of death. By his resurrection to life, grant your faithful people gladness of heart and the hope of eternal joys. Through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Please be seated. All of our lessons have to deal with what we heard about in the introduction, both politics and hope. Our first lesson from Acts chapter 2, keep in mind, this is the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, and the worst politics happened in the city. And so Peter reminds them of what happened, reminds them of what they did to Jesus, and yet reminds them of what God's purpose was in Jesus, to give them hope, we read. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet David said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The word of the Lord. Continue with the anthem.
second lesson is from 1 Peter chapter 1, and it serves as a basis for the sermon. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. The word of the Lord. Gospel from Luke chapter 24. Here were a couple of Emmaus disciples. They were walking towards Emmaus and caught up in all the politics of the day. What just happened to Jesus? Remember, this is Easter evening. So they were just thinking about all the things man had done over the past couple of days. And yet, look at what Jesus does. By sharing the word, explaining the word, their hearts are burning within them. And in the midst of our world today, too, with everything going on, may the word of God cause the same to happen for you, that your hearts burn with faith in God and hope in what God is still going to do for you. We read. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. 
Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated for the hymn. and peace are yours from the one and only the triune God who will always tell you the truth 
and keep his promises. Brothers and sisters in him. To me, it seems like and it feels like you can't escape it today in its politics, the negative kind. They're coming harder, or it's coming harder and faster from every angle, infiltrating every aspect of our life, and it's nothing new. It's nothing new. Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. It's same old stuff. For instance, a person goes in and shoots up a school of defenseless people. And then all of a sudden in the aftermath, it seems like you're not hearing what's going on, what the motivation was, things seem to be concealed, questions are raised and unanswered. And my biggest one is, how in the world can someone, anyone, doesn't matter who, anyone who goes into a defenseless place and takes the life of other people, how can that shooter be considered a victim? Oh, oh, that's politics. Because the Bible says that person, whoever it is, is a murderer. Plain and simple. And it affects not just big things like that, it affects seemingly simple things like beer lately, like Bud Light. And, and I know it's easy to say, and, and all of you would, would agree, right? You're Miller fans, right? And that's the way it should be. <laughs> but in all seriousness, it's easy to sidestep issues today, too, and then not really address what's going on behind the scenes. The parable of Jesus' Good Samaritan where he describes in the word of God how we want to care for somebody even if they're very, very different from us. I want to treat somebody respectfully. I want to treat them with dignity. They're a human being. Whether I agree with them or not, no matter how different I am from them or they are from me. And that's what we strive to practice. But today it seems like that's not good enough and so questions are raised even further. What about institutional racism? What about reparations? And it causes you to think through these things. Where do I stand on this? What is appropriate? What is right? Do I stand for the flag? Do I kneel for the flag? Are you going green, green enough? Or can you have a gas stove today? The last Wisconsin Supreme Court election didn't seem to me to be just an election between two people. The, the ads I heard on the radio made it all about, at least in my opinion, and I'm happy to be corrected, it seemed like it was about abortion and a woman's right to be able to have an abortion. Is that really what it should be about? <laughs> Again, God has something to say about abortion in the Bible. That's not a political issue. That's a very, very serious one according to the word of God. Politics of the negative kind. Corruption, biasness, favoritism, lining your own pockets, getting God out of everything it seems like today. Just scream a little louder, sin a little bolder. Is that what you want in your religion? Is that what you want when you come to the house of the Lord? And I hope that answer is just so, so easy. Except that's what many churches are doing today. That's what many churches are pursuing. Not necessarily the good book, 
but a religion that mixes politics or is way more into the politics than ever should be done. For instance, they're missing the great big elephant in the room of sin. And when I say elephant, I'm not referring to the Republican elephant. Churches are missing the great big thing right in the room of sin that God once dealt with. And instead, they're giving God's approval to sinful things and sins in general and leading people to act like donkeys. And I'm not talking about the Democrat donkey when I say that. I'm talking about people who act like jerks. Because that's not a religion, and that's not even Christian, not even on the same planet as Christianity. Peter has something to say about this two verses before our text. He said this verse. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And his point is, as Christians, we're not in ignorance anymore. And, and you know what Peter's watching when he says this? He's not looking at his TV, looking and shaking his head at just how terrible the world is, even though his world was the same as ours, completely sinful in every way. He's actually looking at the church of God, of his day. He's writing a letter to the people of God, and he says, as obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And so he calls the people the basis of what God has made them because of the gospel. He calls them children. You're children of your Father in heaven. The gospel has made you that. And so he emphasizes their status that they have on the basis of the gospel. Look at what Jesus has done for you. You're children of your Father in heaven. But he says, you're not the kind of children that, that run unruly and crazily doing whatever things you want in the world. You're the kind of children who are obedient. Just like your father. You look like your father. Do, do you know what your father looks like? Your father in heaven? Your father in heaven is, is not somebody who plays politics. Your, your father in heaven is not somebody who is compromising shady. Peter says, the one you call on, your father, is somebody who judges every person's work impartially. And so he says, your father, the one in heaven, the one that you're a child of, is a judge. But he makes it not a noun, he makes it a participle. He's your father who judges. And so he's saying your father in heaven is somebody who's in the constant act of judging every single moment of his existence if we can ascribe time to God. God constantly is both father and judge. And you know what kind of judge he is? Oh, he's strict. He's really strict. And Peter draws that out. He's strict in the way that he does not show any favoritism to any single person. No person gets special treatment. Your father, in the way he carries out his judging, judges on the basis of his own holiness, where there is no sin. And that's how he treats any and every single person. He doesn't seek the face. 
He's not turned by this or by that. He judges on the basis of his own holiness. And so when you come here, when you come to the house of the Lord and you enter in, you need to understand that when you stand before your God, he has no politics in the shady sense of the term. He's not conniving. He doesn't lie. He's not looking to line his pockets. He's not looking for a power play. God doesn't play politics at all. And when you come here, it's not just God doesn't play politics. Here, with whatever his word has to say from Genesis to Revelation, beginning to end, his word doesn't play politics. There are no politics in the word of God. His word is truth. And so if there's no politics with him, if there's no politics with his word, there's one more factor that we're missing in this equation. You. God who is constantly judging and judging in line with his holiness and judging in line with impartiality, he's judging each person's work impartially That means you. When you come to the house of the Lord, are you bringing politics into your religion? Because God isn't. His word isn't. Are you? And this is actually what Peter is drawing out with his readers. Do you think that you somehow enjoy some kind of special status with God because you're not as bad a sinner as you see on TV? Because you're not as despicable in the deeds that you've done as somebody else. That somehow you have a special in with God. Oh, Peter says, think again. Maybe you think that, uh, that you're okay because you drink the right brand of beer or booze. Even if you drink a little too much. Maybe... Maybe you are somebody who thinks you have an in with God because you go to the right church. Even if you don't go how God wants you to every week or weekly and regularly to hear the word. Maybe you voted for the right president and you respect the flag in the right way that you think which gives you the right in your opinion to trash the wrong guy, the wrong president. Maybe you are somebody, and I hope to God we all are, that there's not one person in here who would ever think of doing harm to another individual with any kind of weapon of any sort. that's, That's who God has shaped us to be. We don't hurt anybody like that. And yet, when we have enemies in our heart of people who, or a person who stands against us, do we justify ourselves from not forgiving them for the harm they've done to us? And so we're willing to harbor hatred in our heart against somebody. Maybe they deserve it. Because Jesus Jesus calls that murder too. If you hate somebody in your heart. You know who can play politics? Every single one of us in this room. And every time we do it, it takes away from our faith. And takes away something from our religion. And it even can cause offense to those who are studying us on the outside. As they're looking for hypocrisy in our lives. 
Peter's point in all of this is no one, there is no person who will get preferential treatment from an impartial judge. And you know what? That includes Jesus. Even Jesus didn't get preferential treatment when he was on earth. Let, let, me, give you a, let me give you a little bit of a parable. Let's say you have somebody from one party who is put on trial. And the judge and the jury are completely comprised of people from another party. Do you think that person on trial is going to get a fair trial? You don't have to shake your head. Just think about it. I don't know what you're thinking about because I'm thinking about Jesus. Jesus was completely of one party. A holy party. The holy son of God. God chose him before the creation of the world, our lesson said. Don't you think when God chose his holy son that he understood what he was setting his son up for? That he was sending his son into a place where his son wouldn't get a fair trial? Because the entire world was a world of sinners, a world comprised of another party. Don't you think God knew when he chose his son that his son was going to be completely mistreated? And when he chose his son, that they would give him the worst possible execution, death on a cross. When you look at the Bible and study the life of Jesus and see this, it is politics of the worst kind. And when you look at what God was doing, it is grace at its greatest for sinners. Again, Jesus, when he was on earth, he received no special treatment from his father, no royal treatment. He was treated basically like any other person. And yet the father had designs, and the reason why he did that was to make his son the most expensive extreme payment this world has ever seen. I mean, just think how easy it would have been if it was just a cash deal. Uh, hey, world, do you take Heavenly Express? little plastic? No. Silver or gold? Because God owns it all. Everything in the world belongs to the Lord. How easy would it have been if he just handed over all of the wealth of the world for sin? But he couldn't do it. That's not how it worked. Instead, he handed over to the world the most expensive payment when he gave his son, he gave what was precious and priceless for what was perishable. Peter says, you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And when Peter calls Jesus a lamb without blemish or defect, he's saying, there was nothing sinful here. There was nothing snidely political here. Jesus was never looking to get anything for his own ends. And so when you come to the house of the Lord, you're coming before the Lord who, who doesn't play politics with you in a sinful sense. You're coming to the house of the Lord whose word is truth, who wants to guide you in every upright, spiritual, truthful way. And he tells you the truth. And so when you come before the Lord like that, whose word is true, we want to be the same. 
And so we come here not to hide our sin, not to conceal it, not to sweep it, not to pretend it doesn't exist, but to listen to the word and then to come clean and acknowledge it. The sins that I know about, the sins others don't know about, the sins that have come out of my mouth. And so we come before the Lord to be honest with him. We're sinners, like all of the others we see on TV, even if we haven't done those things. We're no better. But we've come here to tell God the truth and to let him reveal to us in these last days his incredible son, Jesus Christ, and the purpose for which he came to make him that payment price that Jesus would redeem us. The word redeem means Jesus bought us back. He paid the price. He paid it in full. If you're ever struggling with, does God love me in life? Just think about what the word redeem means. It means God went all in, in the most extreme way, for somebody who is not like him. So that your sins would be fully forgiven and freely forgiven in full by grace. Revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then even further, the Lord brings us here that he refreshes us to believe this so that we do believe this. And Peter wraps up with that. He says, through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. The result of God not being political, his word not being political, of us not being political is that he gives us legitimate hope in his promises and in what's to come. I mean, when we've gathered here, what is there to be angry about when you're here? There's no fight. Jesus won the fight. What is there to be argumentative about when you come to the house of the Lord? We have peace with God, and and it overflows. We have peace with one another. What is there even to be political about in a negative sense when we come here? None. We're united to Christ and we're united to one another. This is the family of believers. You don't play politics with one another. And because God didn't favor his son in life, that doesn't mean Jesus didn't earn it. He earned salvation with his perfect life. And God said on Easter Sunday, you deserve my favor. And he raised him from the dead. And with that, through faith in Jesus, God must favor you. Notice, it's not, look at me, it's through faith in Jesus, God must favor you. By trusting his word, God must fulfill his promises to you. And because God raised Jesus, that's where our faith is, God is bound to raise you from the dead. That just brings hope, and it overflows in our life. What the world did to Jesus only cemented our salvation. And I understand Satan's not done in this world, and it seems like he's getting um, further and further traction with whatever he's trying to do. And the world continues to go its own way. When you see that, let it be motivation and reason for you to go right back to the Word of God. Let it be encouragement that this is a place where you will hear the truth and be built up. 
And as Satan continues to push his ideas and despair and darkness continues to unfold in people's lives, let it be an opportunity for you and the world to reveal to the world what is in you. The incredible hope that you have in Jesus Christ. That heaven is your home. Because Jesus met the requirements of a strict judge. And we are forgiven and not guilty in the sight of the Lord. I hope it was clear so far throughout the sermon that I don't want any politics <clears throat> in my religion. And I hope you don't either. I just want the truth of the word of God. Grace for my soul. Guidance for my steps. And to give us hope. Amen. Please stand. We join together in confessing our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated for prayer. Lord of life, fill our hearts with joy during this Easter season, for you have risen and conquered the grave. Imprint the message of victory on our hearts and implant it in our minds. Through the good news of your resurrection, renew our hope and revive our faith. Lord, in your mercy, by baptizing us into your name, you have connected us to your death and, and rising. You have put our sin to death and have given us a new life. Enable us each day to think of ourselves as dead to sin and alive to you, so that we may walk in newness of life in all we do. Lord, in your mercy. In this fallen world, death and sorrow surround us. Touch the hearts of those who grieve the loss of a Christian they love. Direct their eyes to your empty tomb and ease their pain by reminding them that their loved ones will one day rise again. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, many people grieve without hope. Let the message of resurrection reach them and awaken faith in their hearts. Use us as your instruments to bring the word of life to their souls and the message of hope to their hearts. Lord, in your mercy. Stay by the side of all who are suffering. In your wise mercy, heal those who are sick, receiving treatment for illness, recovering from illness or surgery, or hurting in body or mind. Remind them that your victory over death is a fact and comfort them with your promise to raise them and give them and all believers new, glorified bodies like yours. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, you give marriage to our world and you stand behind it. So bless Caitlin Doro and Cody Kakuk as they are united this Friday in marriage. Shape their home with your love and pattern their lives after your word. 
Watch over our brother Bob Colbert as he continues to struggle in the hospital. Help his lungs to breathe on their own and to have strength. And through this all, give him spiritual stamina as he holds on to your saving grace and waits on you. Hear us, Lord, as we now pray in silence. Risen Savior, feed our faith with the message of, of your resurrection. Come to us in your word and in the feast of your sacrament to sustain and strengthen us until we feast with you in eternal glory. And we join to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
O Lord God, our Heavenly Father, pour out the Holy Spirit on your faithful people. Keep us strong in your grace and truth. Protect and comfort us in all temptation. And bestow on us your saving peace through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Brothers and sisters, go in peace. Live in harmony with one another and serve your Lord with gladness. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.